Hey, welcome everyone. Glad you're with us. If you're at Half Moon, Saratoga, so glad you guys are with us. If you're at Latham, if you're joining us online, I believe the God, the Holy Spirit, has something for you today that he's designed that's gonna encourage your heart. Fred Craddock was a respected professor at Vanderbilt University for years and also a local church pastor. And he tells a story about sitting down with a couple that were in their 50s, and it was the second marriage for both of them. And he was just having a blast talking. They had only been married for six months, okay? And the environment was marvelous. The conversation was congenial. The food was delicious. The table setting was absolutely beautiful. And everything seemed to be going so well until about halfway through the meal, and the wife looked at her fork and said, I don't think I like these forks. At that, the husband exploded. He let fly with a profane word, threw his napkin down on the table, pushed his chair back, stormed out of the room. Dr. Craddock said, there I sat alone with the wife. He said, being a man of the cloth, I thought I ought to say something. So I looked more carefully at my fork studied it a little bit. It looked rather elaborate. And he said, well, it, it doesn't look so bad to me. And the wife burst into tears and said, oh, why did I say that? Why did I say something so stupid? And Dr. Craddock said, what's the problem? She said, well, my husband went through a horrible divorce some years ago, and his wife just took him to the cleaners. It was horrific. And the last thing she said as she walked out the door and left, she threw his silver service at him and said, here, take your mother's ugly forks with you. And now, she said, I compound the problem by saying, I don't like these forks either. And Dr. Craddock concluded that story by saying, imagine all of that emotional scene elicited by one word fork. Now, I think it's challenging to preach on something as stressful as a broken marriage because people are going through very hurtful situations, and sometimes just one word can evoke all kinds of negative memories. I realize today I'm speaking to literally hundreds of people who've been directly or indirectly scarred by divorce. For several listening right now, the ink on the divorce papers is barely dry. For others of you, you have long-term resentments based on experiences maybe that happened years ago, but the wounds are still there, and sometimes they still feel fresh. My hope this week and every week is to speak the truth of God's word completely, just exactly what scripture says, not shy away from that, but also at the same time be sensitive to the hurts that are present. And I'm convinced the Holy Spirit's gonna help us with that. 
In fact, I'm convinced that his word never returns void or empty. It always accomplishes something good. It always, God always has a purpose. And so we're gonna bring grace and truth together today in a wholesome and healthy balance. And here's here's the deal. Whatever your experience has been, I believe you're gonna find some word of hope, some word of encouragement, hopefully some word of challenge, and hopefully some kind of comfort in God's word today. So let's jump in. We've come today, and if you've been with us, you know we've been working through the Sermon on the Mount, and we come today to this interesting teaching in Matthew chapter five. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Now, you know, in a culture like ours, I think we're tempted just to skip over this kind of passage and not even discuss it, because divorce is so common. But can I tell you, divorce was very common in Jesus' day, as well. In fact, in the Jewish culture, all a man had to do to get a divorce was just sign a certificate of divorce. It was easy peasy, man. In fact, the woman at the well had been married five times. Divorce was extremely common then as it is now. Some of you may have heard of the Roman historian Seneca. He's sometimes called Seneca the Younger wrote a lot of different things about, gives us insight into Roman culture. Seneca tells about one woman he knew who had been divorced 25 times. By the way, he lived during the time of Jesus. 25 times. She was married to a guy who had been divorced 23 times. So in a culture like that where marriage was kind of cheap and disposable, Jesus taught His followers, I want you to think differently about marriage. You're not to seek divorce for frivolous reasons. In fact, the only reason Jesus gave, now this is not to argue there aren't other legitimate reasons, a case that people could make from scripture, but the only reason that Jesus himself ever gave was if your mate has been sexually unfaithful to you. And sexual promiscuity breaks that exclusive covenant of marriage. But even then, even then, the hope, as we're gonna hear today, by the grace of God is for repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation. So let's unpack this today. I invite you to go on the journey with us wherever you are, wherever you're listening to this. And I want us to see, first of all, that Jesus in the scripture holds high the ideal of marriage. And anything that Jesus did like that, I think we need to do as well. I think it's helpful to start this journey by looking at another passage, also in Matthew's gospel. So if you've got your Bible open, if you're in Matthew 5, you may just wanna go forward a few pages to Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse three. And let's look at this passage together. Some Pharisees came to test him. 
They ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, I want you to note that mentally, any and every reason. We're gonna come back to that later because that's pretty much what it had come to in the Jewish culture. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. I find this quite interesting, almost a little humorous, that when the Pharisees asked Jesus about divorce, he really didn't answer their question. Instead, he pointed them back to God's intention for marriage in the first place. And he quotes from Genesis chapter two, verse 24. So his answer to the Pharisees' question was to hold high the ideal of marriage. What is that ideal? It's the commitment of one man with one woman for a lifetime. Jesus said, that's the way it's meant to be. That's the way God designed it. And what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, that phrase still gets quoted a lot at weddings, but my sense in our culture is that the kind of commitment that represents is not the kind of attitude that most people bring into marriage these days. Several years ago at a wedding of a couple of London socialites, the father of the bride welcomed the new groom into the family with a toast. He held his champagne glass high and he said, I believe you will make a very good first husband for our daughter. <laughs> Marriage is literally that cheap and disposable in the minds of many people. But hear me today, in the scripture, marriage is not driven by convenience. Marriage is not driven even by feelings. God's ideal is that marriage would represent a radical commitment that comes before all other earthly priorities. It's not sappy, it's not sentimental, even though it has deep and genuine emotion, of course. It's gritty, it's realistic, it's tough-minded. It's realistic enough to realize that even the best of marriages are gonna have struggles. And trust me, that's true. Oh, when Debbie and I used to do premarital counseling here in the early, early years of grace, we'd have these young couples come to us and they were all googly-eyed. Have you ever seen them? Oh, we're in love, pastor, we're in love. And they'd come and you could just tell, you could just tell by the look in their eyes that they thought this was gonna all be goosebumps and glory. And a part of our job is to try to inform them that ain't what marriage is all about. All marriages have struggles. Billy Graham used to tell the story about a man whose marriage was a real struggle and finally, after decades, his nagging wife died. And as they carried her coffin to the graveside, the pallbearers tripped over a rock in the pathway and dropped the casket. The casket fell, jolted open, <coughs> and the jolt brought her back to life. She was only in a coma. 
She regained her health and lived for another two years until she finally died again. And as they were carrying the casket to the grave this time, the husband said, watch out for that rock. (laughs) Yeah. All marriages have struggles. So don't buy into this Hollywood myth that it's all eternal bliss and youthfulness and we're always gonna feel like we're living our best life now and it's all gonna be gooey and wonderful. Every, every day is just gonna be better than the one before. If you're about to get married, I wanna tell you, you're gonna have frustrations. But godly couples are determined, they're committed to see this through. They commit to seek their spouse's good, to protect their spouse, to love and cherish each other, to nurture and edify their spouse until death parts them. That's the ideal of marriage. And upon hearing this and hearing Jesus' response to the Pharisees and and this statement, which is, Quoted in both places, by the way. It's in Matthew 5, and it's also in Matthew 19, verse 9. He said, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness. See, apparently, this was a common teaching of Jesus, because it's in the Sermon on the Mount, but it also appears later, it's probably something that Jesus taught on a regular basis. And marries another woman, commits adultery. And upon hearing this, the disciples are just stunned. They're just stunned. And they say here in verse 10, look, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to marry. And essentially, Jesus said, well, sometimes that's true. In fact, if you're not prepared for that kind of commitment, don't do it. Don't get married. If your attitude is, well, I hope I make a good first spouse for this person. Hey, it's just a trial run after all. I mean, hey, if I don't keep feeling good about it or if I'm not happy all the time, hey, we'll just chalk it up as a bad experience and move on. Jesus says, if that's your attitude, don't get married. Jesus held high the ideal of marriage. And because God intended it to be permanent, divorce is a deviation from that ideal. In fact, God states unambiguously through the prophet Malachi in Malachi 2.16. These are tough and stinging words. God says, I I hate divorce. Hey, but can I tell you who also hates divorce? Just about everybody who's had one. Can I tell you who also hates divorce? The children who've been scarred by it. The loved ones, the friends who see their loved ones hurting, they also hate divorce. Why? Because what was designed to be this wonderful permanent thing with so much preciousness and potential has been broken and cast aside. Well, There's so much more we could say about the ideal of marriage, but we need to move on. I wanna talk with you now, secondly, 
that Jesus taught that marriage, that, excuse me, divorce is a concession, not a command. Let's read on here in Matthew chapter 19. If you have your Bible open there, we're gonna start with verse seven. Why then, they ask, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted. He's correcting the Pharisees here. They said, Moses commanded this. Jesus said, whoa, whoa, time out. Moses didn't command anything of the sort. He permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. So where did this whole teaching about a certificate of divorce come from? Because the Pharisees have mentioned it, Jesus has mentioned it, where did this teaching come from? It was given by Moses, and we're gonna look at the passage that it came from originally in Deuteronomy chapter 24. Go with me here. It says, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him, ambiguous phrase, because he finds something indecent about her, another very ambiguous kind of phrase, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house, and if after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Now, what's the controversial point here? The debate was over what is meant by that phrase, something indecent about her. So what is that indecent thing, quote unquote, that enables a husband in this Jewish culture to give a wife a certificate of divorce, to divorce his wife? Well, it depended on which rabbinic school you followed. There were two major rabbinic schools existing a, a generation or so before Jesus, and these two schools of thought had completely influenced and shaped the minds of all the people that Jesus were talking to, and it, they influenced the way they interpreted the Old Testament scriptures. So if you've not heard of them, I wanna introduce you to them. Very, very important. And so many of Jesus' statements in the New Testament need to be understood in light of these two schools of thought. The first one was Shammai. Now, this was a more narrow and conservative approach. These were the traditionalists, okay? And they interpreted Moses' phrase, something indecent about her, as a purely sexual transgression. It could be one of two things. It could either be a premarital sexual transgression. In other words, the guy married her thinking she was a virgin, but then he discovered later that she was not. Now, we're not gonna go there, but if you're curious about that, you can read Deuteronomy chapter 22 and discover what kind of evidence needed to be produced either against or for that accusation. So, Shammai taught that a certificate of divorce could be given only, very important, 
only on the grounds of an illicit sexual relationship either before the marriage or an extramarital relationship after they were all already married. In other words, it was extremely limited. That was the position of the school of Shammai, the more conservative school. But there was also another school, the school of Hillel, one of the popular rabbis a generation or so before Jesus, which had a more broad and liberal approach to interpreting the scriptures, okay? And in the school of Hillel, they interpreted this phrase from Deuteronomy 24, something indecent about her in the broadest, most liberal way possible. In fact, can I give you some quotes? Hillel said, if she burns the toast, really, and they had a sort of toasted bread in that day, if she burned the toast, grounds for divorce, that's what he taught. If she lost her good looks, if she gained some weight, if she nagged him, if she ceased to find favor in his sight, believe it or not, all of that and much, much more was considered grounds for divorce at the Hill School of Hillel. Now, let me test your knowledge of human nature here. Which school do you think was most popular among the Jewish men? Shammai or Hillel? Of course, hey, you, you know human nature, don't you? Oh, Hillel was far more popular because it gave the Jewish man, in the time of Jesus, almost this carte blanche freedom to divorce his wife. As the Pharisees themselves said in Matthew 19, verse three, you remember I told you, remember this phrase, any and every reason because that's pretty much what Hillel taught. That's what it had come to in Jesus' day. Marriage in the world of the first century AD, folks, it had just become cheap and disposable. By the way, Bible geek alert right now, Bible geek alert. We're gonna go down one little side road for just a moment, and then we'll get back to our main topic. But I find it interesting that under Jewish law, a wife could not divorce her husband. Women, does that make you a little mad? Do you just kind of get a little angry even at hearing that? A wife could not divorce her husband, but only the husband could divorce his wife. So in Matthew's gospel, Matthew only mentions the man divorcing his wife. But I find it interesting as you compare gospels that in Mark's gospel, Mark was writing to a different audience. Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience who understood Jewish culture and laws. Mark writing to a Roman Gentile audience in the parallel passage in Mark chapter 10, verse 12, Mark mentions the possibility of a wife divorcing her husband, which was allowed under Roman law. Okay, Bible geek alert is over. Now let's get back to the main topic here. But Jesus comes along and he says, look, this whole divorce thing has gotten out of control, guys. Moses didn't command divorce. He gave the possibility 
of a divorce as a concession. But it was really because of the hardness of your hearts. It was permitted, not commanded. But what you guys have done is you've taken what Moses permitted and turned it into excuse to divorce your wives for frivolous reasons. By the way, the school of Hillel is very much alive and well today. Men or women often get divorced for very frivolous reasons. And Jesus then says in Matthew 19, 9, but also in Matthew chapter five, but I tell you the same statement, that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness. Now, let's just pause there. What does that mean? What does marital unfaithfulness mean? What is this only reason, this only caveat, this only legitimate grounds that Jesus himself gave as legitimate grounds for divorce? What is it? Well, it's not as easy to answer as you might think. Here's why. Because the word used that's translated marital unfaithfulness, it's translated fornication in the King James Version. Other translations translated a little differently. It's not your typical word that you would expect. It's not your typical word for adultery. The word for adultery in Greek is mikia. This word right here, mikia, is the way you pronounce it. That's the common word for adultery, and it's consistently used whenever adultery is the issue. But here the word used is the word pornia, or in Erasmian pronunciation, porneia, all right? We get our word pornography from that Greek word. It refers to, usually, to premarital sex. But when Jesus talked about adultery, like when he said, Anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. It's this word that he's using, not this word. So the question remains, what in the world does this word mean here? Because that's the word used in our Bible, translated marital unfaithfulness. Well, so the reason I say it's not as easy as you would think is uh, <laughs> it's used in all kinds of ways in the Bible. For instance, in Matthew 21, this word is used to describe prostitution. In 1 Corinthians 5, pornea is used to describe incest. In Mark chapter 7, this word is used to describe sexual immorality in general. In Jeremiah chapter 3, in the Septuagint version of the Old Testament, this word is used to describe adultery. So with such a wide variety of meanings... I think we have reason to believe that Jesus means something broader here than just adultery. I believe Jesus is probably, probably, you don't wanna be dogmatic about this, but probably referring to basically any illicit sexual activity outside of the marriage. And that sexual activity breaks the marriage bond, which is meant to be this exclusive covenant. And let me just say it again, pornea is the only reason Jesus himself gives as a ground for divorce because of the sacredness of the marriage covenant. Now, I realize that upon hearing that, you probably have a million questions in your mind, right? And there's no way we can even begin to cover them. 
You're probably wondering, well, what if it's a pornography addiction? It's just this horrible addiction, but nothing really beyond that. Or maybe you're wondering, well, well, what if there's sexual involvement but not actual intercourse? Is that grounds for divorce? Or maybe you're wondering, what if there's this complex and deeply involved emotional affair going on, but it's never consummated physically. Is that grounds for divorce? Well, what if it's a one-time indiscretion, but not an ongoing affair? All these questions and many, many more. And I have those questions too. And trust me, brothers and sisters, followers of Jesus, in our own world today, among Bible-believing Christians that love the Lord Jesus Christ, we have our own versions of the Shammai and Hillel schools today. Trust me, we do. Not just on this issue, but on all kinds of issues. And some faithful and respectable Christians interpret Jesus more narrowly and some more broadly. So what can we say? What we can say, without any equivocation, what we can say for sure is that Jesus said, pornia, marital unfaithfulness, is a legitimate ground for divorce. I've had so many couples come to me through the years where the marriage bond has been broken or some form of unfaithfulness. And just when you think you've heard every possible story and scenario, another new story comes along. And in every single case, I never counsel divorce. I just don't do it. I counsel wait. I say don't be too quick to rush for divorce because some of the best marriages I know today, fabulous marriages, have had some really rough patches. But they chose to push pause. They chose to forgive when true repentance was present. They chose to work at it. They chose to push through. They chose to stay together and God brought healing and life and wholeness and health back to that marriage again. Oh, it wasn't easy. But by God's grace, they allowed that adversity to be a stepping stone to a better future together. I'm telling you, I've seen it over and over and over again. So in light of all this, I want us to wrap up today by considering what I would call three commitments that I wish we could make together as leaders, as as congregants, as people of grace, three commitments that we could make as a church family. Number one, let's be compassionate. Let's just make this commitment together. Let's be compassionate to those who are suffering from relational pain. Corrie ten Boom, the great Dutch Christian woman who's so quotable, one of my favorites from her is, there is no pit so deep that the love of God does not go deeper still. But can I tell you something? I know a lot of people who've gone through divorce and they feel like they're in a pit and they're, they're not feeling the love of God, and sometimes they're not feeling much love from their fellow believers either. 
had one woman talk to me years ago, and I'll never forget this phrase. She went like this. She went like this, and she said, I feel like I've got a big D stamped on my forehead. Divorce. Can never be forgiven. You'll never be over this. You'll never be okay again, she said. That's the way I feel. And I just want you to know that all around you today are genuine followers of Jesus Christ who have been deeply impacted because of not only broken marriages, but all kinds of unhealthy relationships. For God's sake, for the sake of his kingdom, for the sake of our brothers and sisters in Christ, let's be compassionate. Amen? The woman at the well had been divorced five times. But Jesus asked her for a drink of water. He treated her with respect. He had a deep conversation with her. And later he welcomed her testimony of faith. Now, if you realize today that you have violated God's will for your marriage, you can't go back and unscramble eggs, as I often say. You can't undo your mistakes. But here's what you can do. This is what I love about the gospel, folks. What you can do is come to Christ just as you are. Oh, you have sins who need to be, that need to be confessed? Confess them. Confess them. Receive his forgiveness and go on to live boldly and victoriously for Jesus Christ. That's why I love the gospel. It is all about new beginnings. It's all about fresh starts. It's all about God's grace and love reaching to the deepest pit we find ourselves in in life. And oh, I love that about our Lord. He is so amazing. Secondly, let's discourage, let's make this commitment together. Let's discourage frivolous divorces. Folks, marriage is way too cheap and disposable today. We're living in times when people's hearts are hard. Marriage has become this arrangement of convenience. Hey, as soon as I'm not happy, I'm bailing, man. People see that greener grass out there and they don't realize it's probably over a septic tank. That's the reason it's green, right? They, they see that and they think, oh, divorce, that's the panacea to all my problems. Can I tell you something? Some of the finest Christians I know have been through a divorce. Amazing men and women of God. Deep, godly, Christ-centered people. Love the Lord and his word. But just about everyone I've talked to will tell you it wasn't the slick panacea that some people make it out to be. So let's discourage frivolous divorces. And finally... Let's make this commitment together. Let's keep on championing healthy marriages. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but Grace Fellowship has a lot, and I mean a lot, of healthy marriages. Praise be to God. And we wanna keep on doing all we can do to help prepare people before they get married and then to help nurture them and equip them after they're married. And there's some amazing marriage ministries at Grace. Awesome leaders leading people into a healthier marital relationship. If you're married, I urge you to make your marriage a high priority, folks. 
laugh together, cry together, spend time together, make each other better people. Pray for your spouse. Spur them on to be all God designed them to be. And if you're married, listen now, the most precious thing in your life, it's not your drive for success. It's not the plaques on your wall. It's not your earthly achievements. If you're married, the most precious earthly thing in your life is your marriage. Protect it. Nurture it. Cherish it. It's one of the wisest investments you will ever make. Father, thank you that your word and our Lord Jesus, while he was walking this earth, held high the ideal of marriage. May we do the same. And help us to be compassionate with people who find themselves in horrific situations. Oh God, let us show kindness and love. Let us realize that could be us. And Father, help us to never just quickly seek a frivolous divorce, but to always champion, always champion forgiveness, always champion grace, always champion pushing through. Father, we pray for those today that are indeed hurting. They feel like they're in a pit and they can't get out. Oh God, show them that your love goes deeper still. May they find around them brothers and sisters who really care, who really care, and who are able to stand with them and walk with them through that fiery furnace they're going through. And Father, I pray that you would continue to mold us and make us into the men and women that are pleasing to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen.